So happy Friday the 13th. I don't know when I'm going to get this uploaded, so I don't know when you'll be hearing it, but well, you know, I hope you had a good Friday. I hope nothing too weird happened to you this Friday the 13th. It's been a dope one. I can't complain. No, it's been a good one for you. That's good. So you're on the road. Where are you at right now, bro? Currently in the bumfuck of Indiana, about to cross over into Missouri here in a little bit. Wow, I heard there was nothing but corn in Indiana. Is it true? Nothing but corn and truckers, my boy. Corn and truckers. So this is kind of going to be like possibly what some of our interviews will sound like, too. So this is good for everyone to hear this. Um, Because we might talk to some people that, you know, may use their phone or may not be somewhere that sounds the best audio-wise. Fox sounds decent, though. So just to kind of go over some quick headlines here. Uh, Truly donates another $500,000 to Florida's marijuana legalization ballot initiative. Um, so pretty much, you know, putting more money into it. I think their donations have now equaled $39.55 million trying to pass smart and safe in Florida. You know, we talk about this a lot, um, not to make it the true leave show, but yeah, they got money. So they're trying to push it through. Um, you know, at this point, man, uh, fuck it. Whatever happens, happens. Would it be funny to lose, to see them lose that money? Absolutely. Oh, fuck yeah. I mean, hilarious. I'm, I'm stoked either way, whether they lose the bread or it actually happens. Great. And then we see some bigger companies finally going belly up like Certera and, uh, the market's really changing fast. So, you know, man, I've had some positive people in my head the past couple of years, you know, telling me I just got to watch things play out. Um, all these places are going to fail and fall apart. Uh, I don't know if that's really going to happen. Um, I think when that happens, big pharma will probably come in or big tobacco or alcohol and buy these places for pennies on a dollar. Uh, but who knows? You know what I mean? So we'll see what happens. Try to be positive. I guess the best case outlook would be um, cannabis gets passed, you know, is legalized in Florida and it becomes even more normal and no one gives a fuck. Uh, you know, maybe cops stop enforcing it even more, even maybe if people are growing at home, right? As long as it's not like at scale, you know what I mean? So who knows what's going to happen? That sounds delusional of me. I'm sure they'll be kicking motherfuckers doors in still for two plants, but you never know. Um, another headline here, six children home from hospital after eating candy labeled cannabis infused at boys and girls club in Lauderdale. Several children have been released from the hospital a day after they suddenly got sick from eating candy labeled cannabis infused at the Boys and Girls Club in Water Hill. It was a scary Wednesday afternoon for the parents whose children go to the Water Hill location. Between 3.30 p.m. and 6 p.m., Water Hill police were called to the center three times. According to investigators, eight children ingested the cannabis infused candy. On Thursday, concerned parents at the center reacted to the news. Um, this is T.T. Lois. I don't know what to say. I'm shook. That's disturbing because that's supposed to be like one of the safest places for kids to have. I mean, I used to go to the Boys and Girls Club. I don't know if that's like, maybe the Lauder Hill one's nice, but I don't know. That's kind of a crazy statement to make. That Fuck it's the safest yeah. place. Um, but this candy was not kid friendly. Or maybe she meant candy supposed to be. I don't know. It's a weird quote, but this, I, can, this candy was not kid friendly. Lois said she has taught her kids to only eat what she gives them. Yeah, I think what she meant was the fact that, you know, just trying to say that candy in general, the concept of candy should be something that children should, you know, like, I think that's a very closed-minded statement for someone that doesn't understand, you know, a market and, you know, its products. But yeah, I mean, again, you know. Everyone loves candy, man. Yeah, yeah, legitimately. That, that's a fucking age 1 to 80 type product. And, I mean, end of day, you know, there's going to be all sorts of products. I mean, those could have been fucking dietary, um, you know, fucking laxatives. They could have been whatever. They just happen to be edibles. And the reason that happened is because irresponsible parents left their fucking meds somewhere. And their little kid was like, cool, I'm bringing candy to share with my friends. Like, all sweet, innocent shit. So, like, you know, the closed-mindedness of that statement obviously bothers me, but I double down fully on saying, you know, the the parents need to tighten the fuck up, dude. Like, put your fucking meds away so that you don't become a piece of shit news story and make the rest of us look like assholes. 
Have you ever seen that video of all those kids shitting their pants after someone fed them all laxatives, like brownies or something? It's like, I don't know where it's at. Yeah, so I don't know if it's in the U.S. Um, yeah, no, I've seen that video, and yeah, I probably laughed uncontrollably when I saw it. Yeah, if you guys have never seen that, Google, like, school shitting themselves. Absolutely insane. I can't imagine how much trouble that kid got in for that. But anyway, to continue to read this, a six-year-old female brought in edibles then fed them to the kids. <laughs> I don't know how many kids are given the edibles. The children, one's a female, she ate an entire piece of the candy, and one of the patients is a male. He, he said he had half a candy, that edible, a dispatcher said. Firefighters said all the children who ate the candy were between seven and eight. Two of them were treated at the center and released to their parents, fucking little soldiers, and the six others were transported to the hospital in stable condition. Uh, maybe they had some some vital issues, which I could see happening, right? Um, like maybe elevated heart rate and stuff like that. All the children are expected to be okay. One of the patients is an eight-year-old male. They thought it was just candy. Boys and Girls Club of Broward County released a statement that reads, Upon learning of the situation, staff reacted immediately by contacting the authorities. Leaders at the center confirmed the six children who were taken out of the hospital have been sent home. No charges have been filed, but they are investigating how the children got their hands on the candy. On Thursday, a spokesperson with the police department released a statement that said, The packaging on the candy contained the verbiage cannabis-infused and for medical use only. Police said the candy has not been tested for the presence of THC. So who knows? Uh, it's probably going to be some dispensary edibles or something, or maybe some Delta A edibles. I, I don't know. They're everywhere. You know what I mean? So Yeah, so the thing is with edibles, right? In general, with anyone who hasn't ever taken them, and then you take them, especially with someone like a kid, you know, and dude, I spent over 10 years being a pediatric caregiver, so I've seen plenty of kids get legally fucking high. And I've seen parents break laws because lives are more important than laws. But end of day, if, you know, anyone, including a child, consumes like anything over 10 milligrams, having never had that shit in their system, they're going to get violently sick. You know, like you really, you know, you can at best hope that your kid is going to have an enjoyable high and sort of run them through it. But for the most part, it's going to be enjoyable for a bit, and then they're going to get really sick and nauseous and just start throwing the fuck up. And then that's where it fucking sucks as a parent, because you got to ride that out with them. And if you don't know that cannabis is harmless, even an overdose of it, you know, you put yourself in a, in a huge predicament. Um, one, because now that child has THC in their system. So, like, if anything happens to that child within the next 30 days, or there was an appointment to be made where blood is drawn or anything is fucking done, you are fucked as a parent. That is an instant red flag for CPS to come. And in some cases, they'll fucking come right to the doctor's office. And- Did some of those kids enjoy getting high after a while? Dog, I'm going to tell you straight up. I've had some fucking, some dope-ass <laughs> times. With my Mostly like the, the, the epileptic kids, it's a little different because it's usually high CBD, low THC. Sometimes, but, but, but what the fun is, I had a lot of patients that were like autistic, epileptic, and so they would use higher THC to like modify certain behaviors, you know, whether it's like self masochistic, you know, the kids hurting themselves or picking at themselves or whatever the case is, or um, generally to curb out aggression issues that they don't want to use uh, harder narcotics for. Um, but like the cancer kids are straight up eating RSO, like a gram a day, some of them. And, you know, they go from, I had one patient who, he was 43 pounds for like three years straight, didn't gain any fucking weight, didn't really grow. He was less than like 20% in his, you know, in his age group for size and weight. And uh, this kid would have to eat a gram of uh, RSO a day because he was fighting leukemia. And I could tell that kid was, you know, he would go from being sick or throwing up to not having energy to coming in being like, I want eggs and bacon and I want to sit on the couch and watch the show with you. And I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, buddy, let's do it. And like, dog, that's like, hungry as fuck. yeah, that's where the fucking magic really does happen. And you know, people just don't understand that there's a right and wrong, wrong way for anyone to experience that. But then again, in that situation, that's not recreational. That kid had cancer. and That's that's what was saving his life. So, like, I just think that people need to put some fucking respect on the fact that they can't, you know, like, I mean, they can. They can do whatever the fuck they want. Give their kids gummies, go to school. But end of day, 
I don't think your freedom or the fact of having the possibility of your child being removed from your home is worth any of that. Our Friday 13th news story. I shouldn't be laughing, guys. I'm fucked up. I'm sorry. Man arrested for fatal stabbing over marijuana dispute in East Oh, Florida. my God. And, you know, it's the 13th, bro. So, of course, this man's going to be 31 years old. Wow. He's in custody after he fatally stabbed his brother's friend during his dispute over smoking marijuana. Deputies with the Volusia, whatever, county sheriff's office arrested Joseph McDonald on a charge of first-degree murder following the death of a 21-year-old man. According to police, deputies were alerted to the murder following reports of a potential shooting. Deputies encountered the victim with an injury to his abdomen. He was rushed to Deltona Hospital, where he did pass away. Deputies initiated the search for McDonald based on information provided by a witness who was present during the altercation. As law enforcement sought to locate him, a photo of McDonald was released to the public, resulting in calls from individuals who saw him in the area. God, bro. With the assistance of a helicopter and canine, they apprehended him at 1.15 p.m. after he came out of a wooded area on Newmark Drive, about three miles from the murder. This murder began when the victim denied McDonald the opportunity to smoke marijuana with him. A witness told police that McDonald threatened to kill several people inside the home where he'd been residing for the last two months while dealing with significant mental health issues. McDonald is currently being held without bond at the county jail as an investigation into the murder continues. So this is really sad, man. Um, This guy obviously was like living in this house and these people probably didn't want to smoke with him because dude, I've, I've had friends that were schizophrenic or had mental health issues. And sometimes when they would smoke, it would like intensify it. So I'm, I'm wondering if that's what the vibe was. And then, you know, at the same time, um, I hate to admit it, man, but fuck bro. I've had to, you know, really wanted to smoke before and not been able to, and like, you know, not like got this fucking mad about it, but damn. So I can imagine the combo of mental health, um, you know, wanting to get fucked up or wanting to get high, which, you know, and and that's something we can talk about. Like, I mean, I think a lot of us go through that cravings or maybe even withdrawals. And remember when they used to say cannabis withdrawals were a myth and and they're not, man, you have nightmares, don't eat, you know, they're listed now. So, you know, it's, it's a weird thing to talk about. Um, not that we're junkies or addicts or anything like that, but yeah, man, sometimes when you're used to smoking weed every day and you had a bad fucking day or something, and you know, obviously most of us are adults now and most of us never have to worry about that again, running out of weed, but a lot of people still do, especially a lot of people that aren't financially secure, stable, and, and, and probably need cannabis and, and need safe access to it. Did this guy need it? I'm not sure. Um, rest in peace, man, to the guy that got murdered and God bless his family. It's It's horrible. I mean, not only are these two gone, you know, this dude's going to do life in prison or the insane asylum, he's gone, but everyone else in the house is, you know, for the rest of their life going to be impacted by this. So crazy story. Um, almost like a modern day fucking reefer madness story, bro, which, uh, I think we're going to cover next week that happened in Tampa, that original story and how it was used for propaganda and, and prohibition. But what do you think Fox about this guy that fucking, murdered somebody because he couldn't get high. Um, old McDonald had a knife. She just smoked the joint. Damn, bro. That shit crazy, man. I mean, I've seen some altercations over some shit um, to get pretty heated, but never to this point, bro. But No one's probably going to want to hear this or really acknowledge it, but I'm going to say it so that it's out there. I think that people who are habitually using cannabis are self-medicating, right? You touched up on the fact that, you know, and it's true, you know, like cannabis can do a lot of harm to people that have chemical imbalances that range anything from like schizophrenia, being manic depressive, bipolar, bipolar one, whatever the case is. There's a percentage of people for the bipolar and the manic where it, it helps, but you have to know yourself, know your imbalances and know what the fuck you're going through. If you're just using weed as something to like, slow that bog down or to like maybe make up for the fact that you need to figure your shit out. It, it's going to lead to instances where, you know, you're going to have hyper aggression in situations where things don't agree with you. And it just, it makes 
to typical cannabis patient look a lot more unhinged than they are. In reality, you have plenty of people all across the world and all, you know, in this country that are self-medicating with cannabis, whether through the legacy market or whether it's going, you know, through medical channels and having a license. And then, you know, like you said, a lot of people don't have or aren't at the financial responsibility where it's a focus for them to always have that medicine. But then the other side of that is how much weed can you really smoke before this shit pops back up and you don't understand why it's happening? And unfortunately, it, it jumped to, to someone being murdered over something so fucking trivial. I mean, honestly, this is something when people don't check themselves, you know, they end up fucking shit up for themselves or somebody else. And, you know, lives are affected. Uh, it, it is really, really sad. Stories like that, while we can joke, I got jokes about it. But at the end of the day, people need to realize, like, what it is. Like, know yourself, you know? I mean, if... If you're using weed as a crutch, but there's a deeper problem, it's always going to resurface at some point. So at what point are you responsible or not responsible for acknowledging that? And, you know, like knowing that you're getting so fucking mad over someone not smoking with you that you're possibly going to fucking end their life. Like, that just sounds like such a waste of it's a waste of two lives it's, it's really fucking unfortunate and if anyone reading this can sort of click with what i just said my best advice to you is you know a lot of people don't like hearing that get help shit so i'll say this fucking know yourself fucking look at yourself for what it is and really start to figure out why why you use cannabis why you feel the way you feel and if you can't answer any of those questions your head is so far up your own ass that you really need to take a step back and look at it, weed or not. And if you're like, you know, if you're using cannabis to just delay thoughts or process things, you know, you do have to, you do have to stop and, and let it catch up to you sometimes. And I think a lot of us, um, and I had a pretty heated debate on Instagram once with a few people, man, that were just really upset about even talking about this, but it was, um, you know, do you dream like, do you have dreams? Uh, and a lot of people still do. A, a whole bunch more people don't dream. Terrence McKinnis commented on it before. He thought maybe you're using that, you know, whatever, whatever it is, bro, that makes you dream. Like when you're, you know, medicated, maybe you're using that up. Um, then some of us think maybe we don't remember, right? So we don't remember our dreams because we're stoned when we go to bed. Who knows what it is, but. I do know a significant amount of us, when we quit smoking, we have horrible fucking nightmares, man. And sometimes you have to have those nightmares for a few weeks uh, to fucking, you know, catch back up and let your fucking computer defrag, bro, or whatever you want to say, man, like however you want to compare it. Like sometimes you got to come to the hard realization of shit. And, you know, obviously a lot of people aren't like this and this doesn't apply to you and your daily cannabis use is fine. You need it. You know, there's a million reasons. I mean, instead of taking the Tylenol, I'd rather use cannabis. So like I'm talking about people like foxes, like, and maybe even I've been like that myself, you know what I mean? At times in my life where, um, I've had to quit smoking and like, you know, come to terms with shit. Um, so not to say that's like, you know, I guess that's just me projecting. I guess that happened to me. That might not be for you, but so for me, like, I'll get personal for a second, dog, because I have no problem doing this. So I, it, I am the complete opposite. So for me personally, right, um, you know, I started Fox Racks because my daughter passed away from epilepsy. That really fucked me up really fucking bad for a long. I didn't talk about it for like six fucking years. I mean, it was it was one of those things that like it came full circle to everything that it is now. I have nonstop night terrors. So for me, I don't want my fucking dreams. And the dreams that I do have, they're very rarely good ones. And if they are, they're projections of things like current projects or, you know, just like there are good ones, but they're, you know, they're not as memorable as the bad ones that are truly night at this point. So cannabis has helped me not really 
I don't deal with those night terrors the way that I do now. I mean, I might be lucky to get one every now and then, but I mean, dude, think about going to bed every night for six years straight and having the same fucking nightmare. It's not fun. So the thing about cannabis and uh, people who habitually use cannabis the way that we do is there is something about the way THC is in our system that counteracts our ability to fully achieve REM sleep. And this is something that has been documented. It's been researched. There, you know, there are papers about it. It's a whole last thing. And, um, you know, for some people, they have the whole, well, I can't dream anymore. Or, or they're like you, where, you know, they don't smoke and they have nightmares. Or there's people like me where it's like, I, those night terrors will come back if I don't smoke. When you look at all that as a whole, you know, we're all different. Our endocannabinoid system, our ECS, it, or yeah, ECS is uh, different for every one of us. It's like a it's like a fingerprint, you know. So this compound affects us all differently. Um, I'm sharing a lot of that to kind of help explain the point of like also, you know, the the point of talking about this story and more importantly, people being able to understand and like the thing. I love cannabis. I don't think there's very few things in this world that I'm more passionate about. But the truth is something that I've come to realize as a caregiver trying to help these kids and trying to help people and then being there for the ones that have lost those battles, you know, it's not a fucking cure-all, especially when it comes to, like, people dealing with mental afflictions or, or just things that they're trying to block out. For me, it were there were memories of a traumatic event that led into many more traumatic events. It was just the start of a roller coaster of dog shit for me, really. And that part of my life ended and a new one began. And it wasn't it wasn't until I really started to look at myself and, you know, I started the company. I started to share my story. Um, when I first started talking about it, man, it would you could hear the trembling in my voice. I couldn't I couldn't look at you in the eye. I'd fucking start to tear up. And now I can sit there and smile about the whole thing because I know at the end of the day, if anybody can listen to that shit and just grasp anything positive from something so much bad shit happening, it was worth the share. You know, it was worth all of those uncomfortable moments. It was worth looking at why I wasn't happy, why these things I felt kept happening to me, why being in that same mental state was actually holding me back as a businessman and as someone who was trying to really push hard for other things. You don't realize how badly those things spill over into other areas in your life. You know, uh, for me, I fucking basically doused myself on fire and like created a fire so big, nobody could get near me. And I had to learn how to adjust that over time. And it wasn't just with cannabis. It was, it was, I mean, Honestly, just looking at myself, taking a little breather, being uncomfortable and having those thoughts and those conversations, sometimes with friends, sometimes with myself to really get to this point to be like, okay, you know, I, you have to know the limitations of your medications. That's, that's simply it. And if you're using cannabis like a medication, you have to understand that it's a, you know, it can be medicine, but it can also be a crutch. It also be a band-aid for something that's much deeper, you know, than what you're trying to cover it with. So if anyone who's listened to this episode so far has grasped anything or, you know, even connects with the idea of anything I've said, you can always reach out. I am honestly so happy to talk to anyone about this stuff. If you guys, guys have any questions, you guys want resources, I will hit you up directly and and, and that's that, you know, I, I honestly, like I said, there's a lot of people that have the thoughts of the conversations that we're sharing, but they don't really know how to go about it. They don't really, they feel stuck. And I, I felt stuck for a really long time. I had to like sort of navigate this road on my own. And as I started to meet more people who had similar stories, it showed me that we were all following a similar path. You have to learn, you know? hundred percent, man. And especially right now, I mean, people are like, it's bad. Like the recession hasn't been called, but I saw today 440,000 Americans are working two full-time jobs. Um, so, you know, as things kind of play out, man, like people need money, people are broke, you know, kind of gets people stuck in a cycle of just bad shit. So, 
um, yeah, if you guys ever need to talk, I mean, f- fuck, I've talked to a lot of you a lot about a lot of deep shit. So um, I might not be the best counselor. I might just fucking, you know, tell you I'm insane too. But hey, it's at least we're insane together, you know, especially when you feel like you're by yourself going crazy. Like, don't worry, a lot of us are going crazy. Yeah, um, I'm the only one, I promise. And that's, that's part of the important thing to remember is even if you just have one fucking, even if you don't, like I said, dude, reach out. No judgments ever. I've I've hosted all sorts of events, all sorts of groups for all sorts of different kinds of people. Everything from parents who have lost their children to epilepsy, from parents who have children who are on, you know, uh, special needs children to kids that are specifically just cannabis users. To literally, it, it, it's those things to, to mental to men and mental health. Like man, it's it doesn't get better if you don't fucking talk about it. And we can. Bro, me and Dave have some ruthless fucking jokes that we go through because we're, we're both kind of fucked up. But at the end of the day, you get it or you don't. But at the end of the day, like, you know, the message is there. And I truly meant what I've said on this episode. And I really hope that anyone who listens to this episode specifically can just get even just a second of understanding or anything that helps you is the whole reason that we enjoy putting content out like this where we can connect and share with you guys and be honest. You know, I, I, I don't really specifically outside of interviews that I've done with publications and certain things over the years, I haven't really had the ability to be honest and be able to connect why we do these things, how I've learned these things over the years and, you know, how cannabis all sort of plays into that. You know, we were going to kind of wrap up, uh, what happened with the Ethiopian Zion Coptic church. So the obscurity of the Zion Coptic Church ended on November 28th, 1977. That was the day police raided the farm and found 27,738 pounds of marijuana hidden in a barn in an elaborate system of tunnels. The property belonged to one Peter Sheets, actually Clifton Middleton. Among those busted was another prominent American Coptic, an Iowa Law School graduate named Carl D. Swanson. Swanson was released on bail, but he didn't stay out of trouble long. On February 2nd, 1978, police were staking out a secluded area along the Florida, along the cross Florida barge canal. They arrested Swanson and 15 other suspects during an alleged marijuana offloading operation. 19 tons of grass were seized, as was a 68 foot motor yacht, which had been purchased by the Coptics for $225,000 cash. A Cadillac belonging to Thomas Riley, which is brother love was also confiscated at the offloading site. It was the closest police would ever come to catching Brother Love at a smuggling operation. Even more damaging to the church was the arrest at the scene of Zion Coptic elder Keith Gordon, known reverently as Nia to his Jamaican followers. Within a month, the IRS revoked the tax-exempt status of the church and socked it with a $3 million lien. Not far behind was U.S. Customs Service, which levied a $15 million import penalty against them for failing to declare the 19 tons of grass as cargo. If they give it back, if they give it back, Riley offered good humoredly, we'll pay the tax. Um, ha ha. Government investigators became curious about the source of the Coptic wealth. And that's some real shit, though. Think about what, think about what he said. If they give it back, we'll pay the tax. Government investigators became curious about the source of the Coptic wealth. IRS agent Mike Marr testified that between 73 and 77, church members spent $900,000. Pause for a second. Okay, okay, so it's 1978. Can you do me a favor and look up how much $250,000 is in 1978 to today's money? So Fox had a good point. You know, last time we heard that they paid $300,000 for the house on Star Island. Uh, $300,000 is equivalent to about like $1.4 million now. Um, a shitload of money to pull out. Uh, Star Island houses now are probably above 35 to $40 million. Um, but like Fox said, you know, what a crazy amount of money just to, to have as a church back then. And I guess that was your point, right? My bad. Yeah, and that, that blows my mind that even back then in the late 70s, that was a million-dollar neighborhood. Right. And they were all there posted up fucking just smuggling, bro. And they could have got away with it. No, I don't know if they could have or not. They were going crazy, bro. I mean, like, if you look at uh, LMC Media, which is like another cannabis documentary, like, you know, when you start to look at it, like these people might have been the biggest cannabis smugglers of, of all time. And of course they got caught, but 
Um, the government investigators became curious about the source of their wealth. Like as Fox is saying, they have you know, money just to buy Star Island houses in million dollar neighborhoods in the seventies, equivalent to money today. Now it's a $50 million neighborhood, but IRS agent Mike Marr testified that between 73 and 77 church members spent $900,000 on a small fleet of boats. The church's response, its income was legitimately derived from substantial holdings in Jamaica, including properties, container companies, trucking firms, and auto parts agencies. So an agent for the Florida department of law enforcement had always thought that the church was a front for smuggling and it became I guess their bitterest enemy um, that they couldn't really put together a case. But then when all this started to happen, of course they could. It's in my opinion that they are the biggest exporters of marijuana in Jamaica. What we've done is not stop them one bit. And so far as smuggling goes, we've slowed them down, but we haven't stopped them. As the full weight of the state and federal government came down on the church in 78 and 79, the city of Miami beach was receiving complaints from the Coptic star Island neighbors. The big problem was the prayer chants at all hours of the day and the distinctive odor of marijuana. A beach police raid netted 91000 in cash and a few marijuana sprouts, but public opinion was ignited, most by television footage showing Coptic children smoking stogie-sized spliffs. Teenagers began to gather outside the Coptic gates. The Dade State Attorney Office asked and won for an injunction banning pot smoking at 43 Star Island. That was their address. Thomas Riley had now, by then, christened himself as Brother Love and was conducting regular press conferences, which we heard last week. Have you ever heard of the attempted liquidation of a church? He stormed, no murder, no robbery, just marijuana. Is that historic or not? Clifton Middleton said, the ganja smokers of America are the silent majority. We will win. But the Coptics have not much won anything so far. Although the Florida Supreme Court conceded that their use of marijuana was an essential portion of the religious practice, it also upheld the local ban on pot smoking at 43 Star Island as a threat to public safety and welfare, arguing that they had as much right to use marijuana as Navajo Indians do to use peyote. Church members appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. Last October, the high court refused to hear the case. Date Assistant State Attorney Arthur Berger, who represented the state, asserted that the Coptic's argument was phony. It's like Al Capone setting up a saloon during Prohibition. Instead of calling himself a racketeer, he says, I'm a high priest. Come join my church. You think he'll get converts? Of course. More bad news came to the Coptics two weeks after the high court rebuffed them. A boat called Jubilee landed off the coast of Maine with 1,263 bales of Colombian marijuana. Middleton and several other Coptics, six of them fugitives, were arrested at the scene. So these guys were just fucking insane. This is before, you know, big technology and shit. But these guys were on the run, still smuggling. I mean, what else would they do, right? Hemorrhaging badly from legal fees and bail demands, the Coptics did not need another multi-state bust. Riley said that the main fiasco had already cost them more than $1 million, and the trial for that was set in September. Wow. So they're definitely doing it big. So they weren't just fucking uh, growing their Jamaican flower. They were... Were they growing it in Colombia as well, or... I'm not sure. I mean, so eventually 19 people, mostly Coptics, were charged with conspiracy to violate the Controlled Substances Act. Additionally, Riley Middleton and Keith Gordon were accused of conducting a continuing criminal enterprise, a huge pot smuggling ring. Uh, One prominent Coptic was not named as a defendant was Carl Swanson. He had been decapitated when a small pot-laden airplane clipped a radio tower and crashed in the Everglades in 1979. In sweeping fashion, the U.S. government accused church members of using ships, airplanes, and outright bribery to smuggle 105 tons of marijuana into the country since 1973. Included in the government's tally of the tonnage, which the Coptic said was ludicrous, were the 19 tons from that bust at the Cross Florida Barge Canal and 14 tons from the barn in North Florida. After his arrest at Star Island, Riley was taken in handcuffs to a federal courthouse where he gave Miami television viewers a memorable moment. I'm a priest, man. He shouted to the reporters, look what they're doing to a fucking priest. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, dude. That's not funny, but damn. Oh, my God. Oh, fuck. I wish if I I want that framed. Like, I want a screenshot of that. I want want that fucking frame. I couldn't couldn't find that video, man. I looked for it, bro. We got to go into, we got to have to go to the library in Miami and, like, go to, like, old footage or something. That's literally the only way. 
fucking because most of those news stations wouldn't have that shit in archives. They'd definitely be a public library, so that's for sure. So, so a few weeks after this article was written, Thomas Riley was supposed to go on trial for spearheading this conspiracy to import all this weed. Um, you know, it says on the issue of smuggling, Riley is a coy on charges that the Coptics intended to peddle the pot they were caught with. He is adamant in his denials. I would so much rather have a constitutional trial on the issue of ganja in our generation, Riley said. The government would rather not. The court will likely be most interested in the two subjects that they don't like to discuss, how they get their money and how they get their marijuana. Um, I mean, and then if we look kind of what happened after this, nine members of Jamaican-based Ethiopian Zion Coptic Church convicted by a federal jury on Friday of operating a massive marijuana smuggling operation under the cloak of religion. Each defendant faced up to 25 years of prison and $75,000 in fines. U.S. District Judge William Hovler agreed to allow seven of the nine to remain free on bond, ranging from fifty to three hundred and fifty thousand, while awaiting sentencing in thirty to forty-five days. The other two, Jeffrey Bat, the other two, Jeffrey Brown and Clifton Ray Middleton, are already serving prison terms for previous drug convictions. As the Coptics were leaving the courtroom, the fifty-eight-year-old mother of defendant Jacob Schnurman collapsed. Her son helped her to a bench, wiped her brow, and held her in his arms. She had testified as an alibi witness that her son. I guess that he wasn't there and sat in the courtroom throughout the whole nine week trial. Thomas Riley, which is, you know, brother love, who was among three persons named in the original indictment who had their trials severed from others, denounced the verdict. It's a verdict against the entire church. It's not just against each brother anymore. It's against the whole church. They convicted a uh, Middleton Brown Schnurman. There was Michael Booth, Randall Collins, a bunch of guys here. Um, Looks like one of the people were acquitted. The government had not presented enough evidence to convict them. So good to see these guys were not snitching on each other. Of course, I never thought they would. I was going to say, that's fuck. Like, dude, I've <laughs> I've had friends deal with cases that weren't as crazy as this, but they somebody got to talking real quickly. So that, that honestly says a lot about that. I actually have a question. So I'm curious, how are they doing their drops? Um... Were they, as far as bringing smugglings the shit in, you know, if they if it was on a barge, it's through the docks. Which back then, you know, the port of Miami was like, I mean, pre nine eleven, you could pretty much do what the fuck ever. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not being honest to say that, but I'm curious about, you know, for what they brought in through airplanes going through the Everglades. Do you think they dead dropped them like square groupers, or do you think they had enough uh, foresight to go and clear out some land for a landing strip and do it that way i mean it sounds like they had so much money they they probably did do that at some point but i I think they were because i think this is on the square grouper documentary so i think they were definitely doing the old school method or the the method of the time right um but it sounds like they had some other shit like this like you know i mean that's the thing bro if we look at it like i don't know how they were distributing it i'm sure just the normal way but you know they were importing to maine and to fucking miami so I'm sure they had the whole East coast on lock, um, which is crazy to think about, bro. Um, and then, so this article that I just read was from June 19th, 1981. This is from December 18th, 1982, 15 members of the Zion Coptic church found guilty of smuggling 21 tons of marijuana into Maine. Two years ago, will appeal the conviction Damn. after six hours of deliberation. The jury of 10 women and two men convicted all but one of the 16 church members who were being tried in connection with a marijuana seizure on a secluded waterfront property in Maine in 1980. During a preliminary hearing, federal judge Edward T. Gigno dismissed the argument that the Coptics were not guilty because smoking marijuana is part of their religion and the First Amendment guarantee does not apply to importation of marijuana, regardless of how it's used. The reason we were convicted is that we were denied our constitutional right to a fair trial on the First Amendment defense. All but one of the defendants were tried on dual charges of conspiring to import marijuana and possession with intent to distribute. Each charge carries a maximum of 15 years in prison. Um, five defendants were already in custody, having been convicted on similar charges in Miami. So these guys were getting convicted, then, you know, fucking getting, you know, having cases in Maine and Miami, do the most research on this guys. I'm just, obviously they got fucked and went to prison. Like that's what happened. So I just wanted to kind of go over. All of them at least got hit with at least what, 30 plus years. Yeah, at least. And then when I try to look for fucking, uh, 
you know, brother love, man, I can't find shit about him, bro. So I don't know. I don't know what happened. I, I didn't do the most research. I'm not the best at research, you know, but if you can't find information on that, that motherfucker probably sat in a box for a while and said, you know what? I think I want to talk to you guys. He probably, that's true. He probably did go. I, I need to watch LMC medias because one of his videos says like government suppress information about it. So yeah, maybe buddy did turn witness, but, um, what's interesting and I kind of wanted to read over this uh, real quick is that so in 1986, the organization, so this is after this is in the eighties, I guess the organization participated in the DEA's hearings on cannabis rescheduling in the United States, which was pretty interesting. Um, I, don't, I couldn't find much info about that at all. Uh, Jim Tranmer, uh, Jen Tranmer, a member of the group was pardoned and released actually by Barack Obama before he left office. He had received a 33 years prison sentence for possession of cannabis because he defended the sacramentality and goodness of cannabis without repentance. Today, many are grateful for his sacrifice and his release as an acknowledgement and the paradigm change that has taken place since the majority of the population now see that the fight, you know, against the medical plant is just not good for society at all. Uh, it looks like another person that got out, Carl Olson, ran for governor in Iowa as a libertarian. Um, then for the U.S. House of Representatives, looks like he's a priest at the Ethiopian Zion Coptic Church in Iowa. So I guess some of these places are actually still around. Um, another interesting thing, man, is it looks like, you know, it kind of held up. I mean, there's some people say that it held up the Jamaican economy at times in the late 70s, that they were, you know, doing so much business. Um, it's crazy to hear Riley say that, like, hey, if you guys give us the weed, we'll pay the tax. You know what I mean? Um Obviously, back then, man, cannabis was was highly demonized, so no way that was going to happen. But here's the thing: on top of the demonization of that plant, they would have made more money off of taking everything from that church and those members versus just taxing them for the twenty odd tons or whatever the fuck it is. It's, 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 That's true. It's, it's it's you know it's dollars to peanuts in comparison. You know, the government's always going to take the most. Where are you going, bro? Where are you where are you heading to right now? Okay. So I am fucking driving to Dabadu, Oklahoma to go see Mila Jensen. If you guys aren't familiar with who she is, um, if you're familiar with the process of washing hash, making ice water extracts, she was the person who created the isolator bag system, which is essentially the blueprint for... um, everything that has come for us as hash makers moving forward. Um, she is one of the definite OGs of, uh, you know, hash, you know, her along with Frenchie, you know, you guys might know Frenchie Cannoli, you know, know that he passed a little while back. I think I talked a little bit about him, you know, one of these nights I was doing an event over, in Columbus, you know, to honor him and show his movie. Mila's no different. She's no slouch. She has an amazing book. I'm going to tell you guys right now, if you think the stories that me and Dave talk about are fucking insane, I read that book at least once a year because I can't even explain in words how incredibly motivational it is. But more importantly than the motivation, her story and how she traveled the world and for the pursuit of hash is like something that if you are passionate about this plant, if you're, if you're a hash smoker and you want to know more about the history of what people had to do to get us in the position where we can comfortably do what we do as artisans, as, you know, as business owners, as licensed, whatever the fuck, it all comes from the things that she did, you know? Um, so, Back in 2019, there was Dabadu, Miami. It was actually my last pre-COVID memory. Um, And, you know, uh, me and, you know, basically all the Florida dudes cleared out the solventless categories. And we all, you know, we all placed and won. And it was a lot of fun. That was my first time meeting Mila. And it's insane. I can't even tell you the feeling that I get when I'm in a room with her. It's it's. It's incredibly humbling. So after working, you know, a fucking nine hour shift, fucking jumping in my car, taking care of my dog and then driving, uh, I don't know, what is it like fucking 12 hours straight, essentially with a little pit stop in St. Louis. 
I'm going to Dabadoo, Oklahoma because one, simply put, just to see Mila. That's how much of of uh, high regard and respect I hold her to for everything that she's done. But more importantly, Dabadoo itself as an event is something. It's an international hash competition. So she's only done it in the United States once before. Hence the tour in 2019. Now um, she's doing, you know, a Midwest kind of East tour of the States, which last time it was most, with the exception of Miami, it was mostly the West Coast. So the thing about Dabadoo is it's never in the same place twice. And, you know, there's been Dabadoos in, in, in Mexico and South America. There's been Dabadoos all over the world, you know, and people will travel. And the spirit of that competition is so different than any other hash event or competition that I have ever been to. And I cannot explain it. Um, it's something that tr- is truly for the hash tribe. So I have no problems driving out and going to see, you know, and just pay my respects and also share and celebrate. Cause I have some friends and some, you know, some mutual friends of ours are entering and nothing would make me happier to pull up as someone as a past winner and just in general, just someone at all and enjoy what I think will be an amazing event. I know a lot of people have been knocking because it's Oklahoma, but let me be the first to tell you there's a lot of fucking fire out there. And funny enough, most of the people I know entering are transplants who fucking crush it. And some of them may happen to be from our home state. So you're fucking right. I'm going to be out there supporting. So. Yeah, shout out to the Florida boys and girls in Oklahoma. So, yeah, man, um, that's Dabadoo in its essence. And that's really, you know, I'm uh, I think I'm pretty close to getting to Missouri right now, actually, which is kind of funny. I pretty much we podcasted all the way through Indiana, which I think is kind of fucking funny. Fuck Indiana, bro. Yeah, yeah, I know. I can't wait to get out that bitch. But um, yeah, like Dabadoo, like I said, it's one of those things where, you know, Mila's been doing it for a long time, and uh, I haven't seen her in close to four years. December will make four years, so nothing would make me happier to go and show support and, you know, continue to pay, you know, my respects to, you know, not only her, but the tradition of Dabadoo. So um, I implore everybody, and I will, you know, we can do an episode on her, and I can sort of kind of, I've read the book now a couple times, so I can sort of like, very loosely navigate through why you would want to read something like that. And I mean, like I said, dude, this woman's traveled all over the world in the pursuit of hash, which is, it's a dream for a lot of people, you know, and, and, and because of her dream, it's now my reality and a lot of other people's reality. And none of us would be here if it wasn't for people like her or Frenchie or fucking Marcus, or, you know, a lot of the OGs, which maybe, you know, you might not know these names, but in future episodes, I will be happy to explain to you who these people are, and why you should know who they are, and what relevance they have to everything that we're doing today. So, yeah, I'm on my way to Dabadoo, and I could not be more excited. It's actually the first time I've been able to leave since I've been where I am, and I couldn't be more excited, man. Like, honestly, I'm so fucking stoked. That's dope, bro. I wish I was with you, man. I'm just sitting here in, uh, you know, paradise, South Florida. Sorry. Yeah, I'm a little jelly. Is it, is it cold? Uh, is it no, cold up there? It, it, it's nice. Like, the whole weekend's going to be, like, mid-60s with, like, uh, the lows for the nights being in, like, the mid-40s. So, like, for me, that's perfect. That's fucking freezing, bro. You're crazy. Bro, I mean, dude, I work in cold rooms that are fucking 20 degrees, 35 degrees. Like, fair enough, there. fair enough. You know, so, enough. so yeah, like, it, it ain't bad. That's bro. why you got that big-ass beard. Straight up. But, uh, but yeah, oh, I'm crossing a huge, uh, oh, it's a huge cross. Jesus, I am, I'm in the, I'm in the fucking Midwest, boy. Praise God. Thank you, God, for letting me and Fox get all these episodes popped out uh, through thick and thin. Me and Fox need some consistency in our lives, so thank you guys for supporting it and uh, thank you so giving much. us a reason to, to, to be good on Friday nights. We usually record on Friday nights. Maybe we should try to see about doing a live one soon. So yeah, that'd be fun. We'll see. Um, but besides that, man, 
Uh, Fox, you got anything else to tell these people before we? It's spooky uh, season. Spooky season. It's Friday the thirteenth, man. That's crazy. I didn't even realize it this morning until like halfway through the day. Yeah, no, I, it, it was really fun. That was the first thing I noticed, and I, the only thing I regret is I wasn't able to get a tattoo today. So oh, I'm yeah, a little you do sad usually about do that, that, don't you? But, I remember that. But Dabadoo takes hold. I can get ink anytime. So you're crazy, bro. I got no tattoos. I could never imagine. Ah, uh, bro, I, I can't wait to get covered the fuck up. So I, I, I cannot. But yeah, man. Um, thank you guys for supporting us so far. Sincerely, uh, like Dave just touched up on us, you know. This show has given us a lot of consistency. Um, you know, you guys seem to enjoy the stories, so we're happy to keep doing them. You know, we're pushing towards uh, the end of the year, uh, transitioning over to our interview series, which will be a lot of fun. I'm uh, working on a lot of fun things and uh, physical, tangible things for you guys, which is why I've not talked about the website so far. Um, but again, Thank you guys so much. I'm literally pulling, crossing into Missouri as we speak. I want to thank Dave for uh, keeping me sane through this drive, you know, and thank you guys for just being supportive, man. Like, sincerely, we appreciate the fuck out of you guys and look forward to doing more episodes. I hope you guys have a good spooky season. We'll come back with some crazier shit on the next one. But thank you guys so much. Um, Dave, where can they follow us? Square Grouper Podcast. You got our tags in the bio. Um, yeah, so next week we'll do the Axe Murders of Tampa to keep spooky season going. Yeah. What did we do the last week of how I don't know what we're going to do. Um, but thank you guys. Uh, we progressively get more and more stoned as these episodes go on, so I'm pretty lit up right now. Uh, hope you guys have a good day, good night, wherever you're at. Um, thank you, Fox. Be safe, man. Yes, sir. I'll see you when I get back.